Welcome to another episode of Eat, Chit, and Dice, a fortnightly podcast about board games and sometimes food. I'm Jondi, and with me, as always, is Jared. Hello. This week we're talking about Games on Tap, which is beer brewing games. Um, yep, that's that's what I wrote down, because I couldn't think of a, a better beer pun. Okay, well, we kind of thought that the beer brewing games episode would be kind of a fun theme for uh, the new year. And since you'll be listening to this either on New Year's Day or after New Year's Day, I uh, hope you enjoy, at least even if you don't enjoy beer, you enjoy maybe some beer brewing games like we did. We have less games uh, because we also have to do some other end of year housekeeping, but that's okay. That's fine. That doesn't matter because, and here's the why, because this episode's going to be great and you're going to love it anyway. And because we're adults and can do what we want. I don't think my mom listens to this podcast, so I can, I can very confidently say, you're not my mom. You can't tell me what to do. First of all, we're going to talk about Homebrewers. It's a 2019 release from Greater Than Games designed by Matthew O'Malley and Ben Rossett. It is a dice set collection kind of game. I don't know. What would you what would you call it? I would call it dice and it's basically set collection. I don't it's not really not set collection. So the way this game works. OK, I, I've got it, John D. It's an engine building game. And dice game. Oh, yeah, that's a really good way to refer to it. You are playing as a member of the craft beer homebrewing society uh, that makes really gross flavored beers. The winning flavor at this year's like homebrewing competition that I don't know anything about and I'm not going to pretend to know anything about was a pizza flavored beer. I mean, I don't like beer, but I, I feel like that would be gross. It has to be gross, right? I mean... It has I to mean, be. but people people drink beer and eat pizza, so yeah. they're just cutting out that the the cutting out a step there. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. It sounds, yeah, I got it sounds really gross to me, but I, I don't I don't really right. like well, beer very much. So what, what do I know? No, neither do I. But anyway, homebrewers. <laughs> why don't you explain how the game is played? Because yeah. I thought you started doing that, I and did then you start. went off on this tangent uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. about yeah. homebrewing. No, no, you're not wrong. That's exactly what happened. Uh, in homebrewers, you roll dice, three of them. You can freely trade those dice one for one with other players to help you get uh, a better one, because there's there's actions that are related to the die. So, like brewing beer or getting uh, the hops or sanitizing your homebrewing equipment or doing the special uh, whatever the event is for that round. These are all things that you have to do with the dice roll. So maybe, maybe Jondi has a, has a die that you want and you have one that she wants. So you say, okay, Jondi, I'll trade you this calendar action for your card action. And you can, you can swap. Great. Awesome. After you do that. I guess that's like thematically, it'd be like the homebrewers, like the homebrewers community helping each other out. I, yeah, I guess so. Cause from, you know. From what I understand, um, the, thematically, what is happening is um, so the game plays in eight rounds, which they call months. And each month, you're supposed to meet with the homebrewing club to, like, I don't know, discuss strategies about brewing beer. And I guess you could, I, yeah, I, I guess that's what's happening. I think that thematically, they did a fantastic job with this one. All of the characters that you can choose to play have, like, bios. Oh, yeah. It gives you, like, I don't know, like a mood. If you if you like to be really like role play with with all games, uh, it's you know it's just kind of like a fun little side thing. The fact that I don't know if they base these on real people or not, but I, I liked the fact that they had stuff like that. Yeah, the way that that manifests is each different playable character has 
a unique power that you can do like once per round. It can be, what do, how do I want to say this? Beneficial to you to use your, your character's power. It's nice that those are there, but I don't know that the game would suffer not having them. No, but I think that it adds a layer to the game that makes the game more fun. Especially if you spend like the first just couple minutes like reading the, the bios um, where as two of us did. And then you said, I don't care about those. Yeah, well, I, I didn't care. I think that kind of stuff is fun. Well, anyway, the, the core of the game here is that you do these actions that let you brew beer, add flavors to your beer. And the flavor, adding flavors to your beer, that's where the engine building comes in. There are uh, 54 of them split into three categories. There's dessert, fruity, and savory. And the whole point of those is that it's part of the engine building process. So you might add, let's see, this kimchi is the first one that I'm looking at here. And when you brew a beer using the kimchi flavor, you get $2. If you use the sour cherry flavor, the beer that you brew increases your points and the beer that's laid out on the board to the right increases by one. The reason that you'd want to do that is because at the end of the game, you get points based on how many flavors your beers have, how high up you are on the beer ranking track. And at two like phases the of the game, track. yeah, the reputation track, that's what it's called. And two phases of the game, you'll score victory points based on how high you are on on the beers. Which there's four different categories of beers. IPA, uh, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. There's... Uh, Ale, IPA... Porter and Stout. Yeah. So you want to try to brew them sort of equally because... Uh, your weakest one is going to be your detriment. So don't just do what I did, which was go all in on one of them. The, the first time I well, played, I, mean, I was like, oh, I'll, do, I'll just go all in on this one. What could possibly go wrong? I feel like it wouldn't be your detriment. I mean, it really just depends on your style of play. If you like manage to, if just focus on one or two types of beer and you're able to fulfill all of the like different like bonus things, then the, the one, the other, like the ones that you're really low on or at zero on won't hurt you as much. But the reason that we're saying this is because your lowest reputation um, number, it, you're going to get double that of points. So right. if your lowest reputation number is zero, then you're going to get zero yeah, points Yeah, double there. of zero is, guess what, guys? Still zero. So it's it's helpful to at least get all of the, the different types of beer up by at least one or two points. Or one or two spots. Yeah, you, you really have to kind of spread your work a little bit. Not uh, Don't go too crazy spreading your work around because um, then you won't get really any of them. But if you, if you collect the flavor cards in a, a semi-efficient manner, um, and it's, it's like Ticket to Ride style, the way you collect them, there's four face down. And when you take the card action of the dice, you can draw a face-up card, draw a face-down card, or assign a card that you already have to one of your beers. So you, you you have to strategize with the cards, really. But unfortunately, there's not really a way to manipulate that. I mean, you can pay some of your in-game currency to reset the flavor board. But again, it's just going to be random draws about what comes out. So you can you say like, oh, I don't want any of those. I want to do the card action. I want to pay the money to reset the board. All right, great. Uh, it's exactly the things that, that were there before that don't help me at all. Okay, great. Well, I guess I'll just take one from the top. And oh, look at that. I still got one I didn't want. For a dice game, this game offers, I mean, it's an engine building with dice as the mechanic, but it really offers you a lot of choices. Um, and when I say that, I mean that you have the options to do, when you, depending on the dice that you have, to do all these different things, but you only get to do 
like the three things that you get. So as you're rolling the dice, you have to really make some choices on if you want to trade something or if you want to keep it. And, oh, yes. And you can pay uh, in-game currency monies to, to, change. to change the dice as well. So if you are flush with money but not getting the rolls that you want, you can pay to change them just like in real life. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> Don't agree to that. I said, uh, okay. Um, I was not really good at making the strategic choices I probably should have made. I came in like super, super last. But having played it once now, I know what I would do differently next time. And this is a game that I definitely want there to be a next time. I really liked playing this game. Yes, I am a big fan of this game. I super like this game a lot. And and I will say this. Um, I have been let down by Greater Than Games in the past. This one does not disappoint. I really, really like this because it's such a visual experience to see on the board exactly what is happening. The layout is is very well done. It's not just, oh yeah, you roll and you move and you do this. And you, no, there's so much going on with this. Um, the, the board is laid out like a, um, like a chalkboard kind of situation. The graphics kind of look like it was done on chalkboard. And Which I love. Yeah. I, I love that. And every game that you play, the task of the months are going to be different, except for Summerfest and Oktoberfest, because those are the scoring rounds. But there's six other rounds that are change that every single time you play are going to be different. And the scoreboard is going to be different every time you play because those have different tiles that you put on. Right. And I will honestly say that I think the graphic design of the board and, and the cards and such in this game make the fact that there's a lot of, there's really a lot going on in this game and it doesn't feel like it when you start playing because they did a fantastic job of using the graphic design to guide the player through the game. Yeah. It's a pretty quick experience too. You know, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. I wish there was a way to maybe make the game longer because uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit and I would have liked to keep going, but I guess you can just play it again at that point. Yeah. And I would have, had we not been like on a, a time schedule. I really, really would have been okay with turning around and playing a second time. And that says a lot about a game. Yeah. Yeah. And we could have, but I had to go replace a thermostat. And when a thermostat's not working at a house, you go fix it. Right. We also played um, Bruin USA from Adam's Apple Games. Bruin USA is a, I don't know, auction bidding, hand management kind of set collection game. Yes. What I wrote in my notes was area control set collection auction. Yeah. Yeah. So the way the game works is, uh, ingredient or flavor cards will come out in, in a certain number of auction sets. Yeah. It's based on player count. Yeah. Right. And an auction is held for which player gets which of those sets. And you have, you start the game with different types of beer recipes that you've selected at the beginning of the game on the board there are different regions or different states throughout the united states each of those states has certain beer only certain beers that can be used in those cities because the people in those cities only like certain types of beer and then each each city has like preferred types where if you claim that city with your beer of the preferred type then there's like a bonus end game bonus that you'll get for being in control of that city so the way that works is you have to collect up certain ingredients in, that are based on the recipes that you select at the beginning of the game. And the ingredients are, uh, what, yeast, hops, water, and what was the other one? Oh, barley. So each of the recipes will say how many cards you need for each of those. So like, for example, one might say you need one barley, one hops, and four waters or something. 
So you have to have, the, all the cards have numbers on them and you have to have that equal to or greater than number of each of those ingredients in order to brew the beer. Yes. When you brew the beer, you get to place it on one of the uncontrolled cities on the that are on the board. Or if it's a controlled city, then you will start like a brew fest competition. Is that what they call it? Yeah, yeah. It was called a brew fest. If you, so if you are debuting a beer in a city that is already controlled by another player, as in that player has already debuted, uh, it's, it is then a brew fest. And then it turns into a game of playing war, which I thought was a really interesting choice for a mechanic. It was. We didn't do enough of that, though. I think we only did that like once at all in our game. I, I feel like it would probably happen more often in a game with more players. Yeah. Or maybe, <sighs> maybe we were just too nice. Like, I just didn't feel a lot of need to challenge other players and potentially lose cards that frankly are pretty important to try to get beers brewed yeah because uh, it's kind of a race to see who brews three beers first so i didn't really want to take the chance of losing cards whenever there are plenty of cities that i could claim even with preferred beers and not have to challenge somebody right because uh the, the the game is played until someone has three beers and then you finish that round and then you like play one more. Play one more. I was just trying to force everyone out by brewing as quickly as possible. And I think Jeremy was also trying to do that. I think you were trying to strategize on getting like yes. better beers. And I, I don't know that that was the correct play. I think it was not. I think the way that, that Jeremy and I were playing was not compatible with the way that you wanted to play. Which is fine. Every player is going to have a different style and you'll learn if your idea worked or not compared. Like, you know, I would definitely do things differently if I played the game again. But, you know, I don't mind that. I lose most games I play anyway, at least the first couple times I play them because I'm really bad at figuring out good strategies. That's just my play style is I have to learn strategies from watching other players play. So I, th I think I think the the really interesting part of this game, uh, like gameplay wise, it's it's all right. I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I, I will play it again. The components in this game are pretty crazy. So the game map yeah. is like square-ish. Uh, beer coasters. There's 16 of them. They're double-sided. Each one is a different city. And they're split into four like regions. Indianapolis, New York, right. Philadelphia, Boston. Uh, some cities I hadn't heard of. <laughs> Mostly big cities, but there's a few. Probably I'm, What I'm guessing are like cities that are... Yeah, like uh, Philadelphia. I've never heard of that one. I thought that oh, was a yeah, made-up city that they made for Rocky too. No, there was one city called Bend, and I wasn't sure where Bend was. Uh, probably Oregon? Or possibly. I don't know. I, mean, I didn't look it up. I could have looked it up and I guess so. Out, but um, there are also uh, 82 beer cards, and the beer cards are all real beers. They're all real breweries that exist. Um, if you go to Gen Con, if you're a Gen Con fan... Uh, Sun King has representation in this game. If you're if you have a local brewery and you're from a bigger city, maybe your brewery is uh, is in this game. And here's the craziest part, and also the worst part of the game: there are over 100 real, unused, not dirty, not gross, but real metal bottle caps in this game. And for some reason, they come they're all, all individually bagged. bagged. Yes. Why? Okay, if, if you ever start your own, but if you're listening and you ever start your own company or publish a game or anything, don't have components like that all individually bagged. Because come on, seriously? I appreciate what you did. I really like thematically. I love the bottle caps. I don't know. It's just yeah. really weird. Yeah. So back to the game itself. Um, I I liked the game. I don't think I could say I loved it. And if you look at the BGG description, it says that it's a thematic Euro game. And I really 
don't see how it fits into the Euro experience genre. I do have to agree with you there. I'm not I'm not sure exactly what that means. It's a strange uh, adjective to give it, but it is. I mean, I don't want to get hung up on that. That's we don't need to get hung hung up on Euro game, not Euro game. I was just commenting yeah. that I didn't really think this one is a Euro game. So if you're a Euro gamer and you saw this description and you don't like games that aren't Euro games, this may not be a game for you, but... Here's the real rub, Jondi. If you are a beginner gamer and you buy this game because you love the theme and you love beer, um, don't read the rule book because the rule book is... It, it, not it is It is extremely efficient. But if you've never played a board game before in your life, you're not going to be able to figure out the rule book because we, we were reading through it and we were like, okay, I'm getting a headache right now. I understand what he's Fortunately, saying. Fortunately, I believe but... there are there are some how to play videos or play through videos yes, out there. Yes, the designer himself uh, made a video that is uh, it, it's interesting and there's a dog in it <laughs> and at one point in the video he's trying to push the dog out of frame and that was my favorite part of the video. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's it's I, I can't say I loved the game but I didn't dislike the game. Yeah. I would play it again yeah, if somebody it. if somebody said hey I want to play this Bruin USA game I wouldn't say no. I would I'm not sure I would pick it off of a shelf if I was picking a game to play at my by my choice. Right. And we have like six breweries here in town. And at various times in their lifetimes, they've had board game nights there. I would take this to one of those. Oh, absolutely. I would take this one over Homebrewers. Well, because Homebrewers takes up more table space. Homebrewers is also a more complicated game. Right. This one is really, really easy and accessible and you could play it. If you know how to play it, you can teach it to other people very easily and they could probably still handle playing it if they'd been drinking a little. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, um, one of the like sales points of the game that the designer is very proud of, um, the auction phase of the game has a little auction tracker and you're supposed to put your colored uh, bottle caps on the auction tracker to show who's winning so that if someone gets up from the table to get a beer... They'll know what happened during the auction phase when they get back. We did not do that. No, no, because we were all eh, pretty much paying attention. There was a there was a little bit of uh, a attention loss a couple of times, but it, it wasn't to the point of getting up and uh, leaving and then saying, "Okay, what happened? I I missed out on this on this auction." Didn't really see the point in using it, but it is a cool component. I'll give it that. Yeah, and it, I, I guess it serves as a place for you to put the winning, the, the bids, because once you've the auction is over, the money that you've spent in the auction is then converted into market value points that is distributed on the map. So it, it's at least a place right. to put it, the money while you deal with the other auctions. I thought that was interesting. I liked the fact that it didn't just go into some bank. Like it still, it served, a, the money spent on the auction served a purpose that affected game points, and I thought that was cool. Yeah, and, and I did like that you could sort of kind of manipulate that a little bit. Like, if you owned the city, you could manipulate it either up one or down one by paying a money right. or receiving a money. I, I don't know. That was, that was interesting. There's a lot of really cool little things about this game. I still, if I'm going to play a beer game and I'm not playing a bunch of them, I think I would still pick Homebrewers over this or another one that we're not really going to be talking to are talking about a lot, yeah. but that's the Brewcrafters game. And I really like Brewcrafters, but it is a really fairly complicated worker placement game. 
Yeah, yeah, and we chose specifically not to talk about it because it is a, a little bit more complicated than I think the payout for playing it is. Now, I do like the game. I think it's a great game. I own it. We both own it. Yeah, we do. We both. Yeah, you and I both have it. But I don't think that if you're going to say to your friends that like beer, hey, I know that you're not really super into board games, but I've got this uh, three hour long board game about beer. Do you want to play it? They're going to say no. <laughs> They're not going to want to play a three hour game. I think three hours is exaggerating a little, well. but it's not a short game either. Um, it it really depends on how you organize the game, but when you put it back the last time, because there's a lot of like setup involved, yeah. especially if you just kind of threw everything in the box. Yep. Uh, which can definitely add to the length of the game, at least as far as sitting through setup. But if you like worker placements and you think the theme sounds fun, you should totally try it. Like it's really complicated, but it's, it's a really cool game that has a lot of depth to it. Um, okay. So guys, I, I know, I know we don't do this very often. Uh, and by we don't do this very often, I mean, we do it every episode, but we have a Twitter, follow us on Twitter. We have Facebook and Instagram. You can like us and follow us on there. Um, we have a YouTube that we're using more. We're posting the audio versions of the episodes there because we've been asked to by uh, several people. And, um, it has a really cool feature where you can click on the timestamp and it'll take you right to whatever that game is rather than you having to find it in the episode. We're also trying to use our discord channel more. So if you want to hop on discord and join the discussion there, that would be cool. And also this super helps with metrics because almost every single podcasting application gets its metrics from iTunes. If you can subscribe on iTunes and give us a review on iTunes, preferably all five stars, that would be great. Um, well, if you can do literally any single one of those things, that would help us a lot. If you want to do all of them, that's also awesome. But uh, John D is, is, is destitute and really needs you to like us on Twitter and subscribe to us on YouTube. And it would help her a lot because she's she's dying. Uh, yes. The sister game, sort of, of Brewcrafters is a, tra they call it, uh, it used to be called Brewcrafters Travel Card Game. They, it, when they did a second edition of it, it became uh, Micro Brewers. Yeah. Which I think is a better title because yeah. I don't think the two games should be associated with one another much because one is really, really complicated and the other is almost too simple. So, uh, the original publisher was Dice Hate Me. Uh, but it is also, at least according to BGG, greater than games. Yes, because now they're the same company. Oh, right. The Microbrewers or Brewcrafters card game is a set collection, sort of an engine building game, but it is extremely, extremely simple. It's a very simple game. It's not a bad game, but it feels like they had a game design and they took something away from it and published or hadn't finished it. Yeah, I, I don't, like, I don't I think know. It's not a bad game. It just feels like it's missing something or it needed more development before it was printed. It'd be really easy for people that don't, that just want to play a card game or something and don't play games a lot to learn. So maybe we're just being overly critical because we play a lot of games, but there just wasn't a lot to this game. Basically, you have a score tracker in front of you. Each of you have your own score tracker and... You are just trying to uh, brew beers or hire people into your brewery. There are uh, several different types of beer in the game. There are, it's like Lambic. A, uh, There's Ale, Porter, Lambic, Coffee Stout, and Special Reserve. So it has like different symbols or different categories that the different cards are that you have to have a certain number of those to brew the different types of beer and the different types of beer are worth different points. 
Yeah, there's malt, hops, yeast, fruit, coffee. In this game, you're either you're trying to like hire people into your brewery that help you, like you get more points for different types of beer that you brew, or you get to brew certain types of beer with less ingredients. But as far as like what you're putting in your beer, you know, some of the things that are uh, a barley or hops, for example, is might be like a hops infuser or something. So you're putting together these sets and you're playing them or putting down cards that can make it easier to play sets or make them score more. Yeah. I didn't feel overly invested in playing the game. Like I felt, I feel bad saying this because it's not a bad game, but I was kind of bored. Yeah. And and I think that goes back to, I think they made a different game. I mean, I don't know. I'm making this up, but it feels like they made a different game and then took something out to make it simpler. Honestly, this is probably the most accessible out of all the games we played uh, because there's legitimately, uh, uh, let's see, uh, like five paragraphs of rules. Yeah, it's, it's really, I could teach somebody the game in like five minutes and have everybody be playing, but for me, I don't think I'd want to teach it because I honestly don't want to play it again. And again, it's not because it's a bad game. I just didn't particularly enjoy it. Well, I did like that you had a choice of either you can play a card down and add it to your brewery to get the effect, or you can play it out as part of a beer to use the ingredient because they're the same cards. They're like equipment or workers, and also they are the ingredients. So it was was at least a little bit... Uh, there was at least a little bit of strategy there where you couldn't just go like uh, all crazy playing down cards because maybe, oh, well, maybe this card. It, oh, gosh, if I play it to my brewery, then it makes ales one cheaper oh, so I could play it. Oh, but then I don't have enough. But OK, but on my next turn, I'll draw two cards. OK, I don't play it. All right, great. I don't know. It felt like there was definitely something missing from the game. But John D and I have played a lot of games and maybe we expect more out of out of lighter intro games. And maybe that's exactly what this was always supposed to be. I will say that the game is very portable. It's a small box. It's it's small enough. You can toss it in a backpack and you can play it at a restaurant, which I, I feel like with this kind of game is is the entire point. What I absolutely hated about the game was it is a two to four player game. However, there are only three score trackers. And I was like, why are there only three score trackers? This is dumb. Am I missing one? Oh, I'm not. Because if you play a four player game, you have to play in teams of two. That was real dumb. It is. It is. Just give me an extra card and tell me you can play teams. What like what happened in playtesting that they said all four players doesn't work? It just doesn't work. Is it that there wasn't enough cards? Because we definitely had that problem where people were hoarding cards. But at that point, what is splitting into teams going to do for you? Because you're still going to be hoarding cards. I mean, there's a seven card limit. But once you've put down so many cards in your brewery, uh oh, well, there's only four fruit cards in the game. And I've got two of them down as equipment in my brewery. I've got one in my hand and there's one in the discard pile. So I guess nobody's brewing any fruit beers. Right. I think fruit was needed both for the, like the special one and for a lambic, yeah. which are also the two highest scoring ones, which I get that there would be less uh, ways to make those beers because they're higher scoring. But I don't know, like towards the closer to the end of the game, they were almost impossible to brew because all the cards were either being used, like you said, in people's breweries or already had come up and gone away, like gone away and, you know, fairly recently in the game. So you knew it wasn't coming up again. I I think, I think we've said enough bad things about this game because again, I do want to stress the game itself is not bad. It just was missing something. Wasn't for us. All right. Well, uh, I guess that that's all the games we've got, but we've got some other stuff going on here. If you have been listening to the podcast, the past couple of episodes, we said some things 
Maybe they were good things that we should have said. Maybe they were bad things that we should not have said. But I've got some notes from publishers about some of these things. The art director and graphic designer for Echidna Shuffle commented on our YouTube channel. And he said that they spent six weeks designing the, the, the Echidnas, the actual like plastic pieces that are quite honestly one of the cutest board game pieces oh I've God. ever seen in my life. They are so cool. And I, even if I wasn't a fan of the game, which I am, I would probably buy it just for those echidnas they are so stinking cute yes they are adorable and the, the the thing that we were confused about is how they managed to make the game so cheap how they managed to get i wasn't confused i was impressed i was impressed that they were able to sell it for such a, a an accessible price right and here's here's what i found out so they've made a licensing deal and i, I don't know all of the details because i didn't I didn't get all of the details. Specifically, what he said was they made a licensing deal with a Chinese manufacturer looking to get into board game distribution and sales in China, saving a truckload on expenses. So that's pretty cool. Again, I, I still am so confused about these pieces because they are so amazing, and I feel like I feel like I should have paid more for the game. But at least now we well, know. Well, that's not confusing. That's just your being excited. I guess so. Uh, it's a great game, and it's it's a really good game to play with the family, and it's got a really accessible price. Yeah. Uh, which I think, what was it, like 40 bucks? So the uh, the suggested retail price was going to be 45 It was selling on their website, I think, originally for twenty nine ninety five, And it is currently on their website for $20.95. That's amazing. You, you I know mean, what? seriously. At, at that price, you can't afford not to get just it. Just go get it. <laughs> go get it. This is a great, it's a fun game. The uh, components are just absolutely fantastic. Uh, go back if you haven't listened to it. Listen to our animal episode a few episodes back and you'll hear us talk more about it. Yes. Um, we also recently talked about Colors of Paris and I was very upset about some of the artwork. I was I was just very upset. You really were. It was, they didn't, it was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I was like, I don't understand why if they have access to this, this public domain art, why didn't they use more of it? Well, we found out So why. to very quickly explain... Yeah, so Jared was, if you didn't listen to the episode, there is what looks like public domain art, and they reuse it over and over. And we were disappointed that if it was a public, if it was public domain art, then why was it used over and over? Well, we got an answer to that. Yes, Super Meeple uh, tweeted at us that, in fact, they are not the original free-to-use pieces of art. Instead, what they did was they had their illustrator remake in the style of famous artists some of these paintings. So if you if you look at them, like if you're just flipping through them, you're like, oh, OK, that's that's that painting. That's that painting. That's painting. It's not. And it's really that's I mean, I think this is so cool. I think this is amazing. Now that they've pointed it out. Yeah, they they yeah. had their artist remake some of these paintings similar, yeah. but not exactly the same. And I'm, I'm still not I don't know why they did that, but. The fact that they did it's, is it's really cool. cool because they're so well done. We didn't even notice. Yeah. So thank you, Super Meeple, for pointing that fact out. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the game. Um, they also gave a strategy tip for you, John D. Yes, they did. Um, the extra meeples that you can unlock. It really depends on how the game is going, how all the other players are going. You can do basically what I was doing, buying the extra meeples to block you. Apparently, John D, strategy-wise, the best play for you would have been to get the extra meeples and block me from blocking you. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like, at least for me, and yeah, I get that that's a strategy. And I don't want to get too much into this because this isn't what we're talking about in this episode. But for me, I feel like that would have just completely changed what the game is yeah. for me. Um, I don't think it would have been as much fun if I was spending all my time 
getting workers so I can block you so that I can maybe do the things I want to do. But anyway. But yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. Uh, I, I know sometimes we get comments from publishers about things that we've said. I think in the future, maybe we can kind of have these two-way dialogues, but not really because we're just letting people that listen know that we're we're having the conversation and they're not part of it. But, you know, that that's okay. Um, I, I just think that that's interesting information that we should share with people. 2019 is at an end and we're starting a new year. You may recall, if you have been listening to us for a while, that at the beginning of 2019, instead of a 10 by 10, we both chose to just give ourselves a challenge. Um, I failed miserably at the 10 by 10 the two previous years because I just couldn't play any one game 10 times throughout the year. I just, there were too many different games I wanted to play. So this year we challenged ourselves to trying to play at least 100 games. Yes. With that said, um, I counted both how many games I played and how many games I played that were unique that I hadn't played more than once in the year. And I did not count uh, prototypes because I play a lot of uh, unpublished prototypes for my job. And I play a lot of Tichu when I'm traveling, so I didn't count that. And Tichu is a, a ladder climbing game for those that don't know. So, Jared, what was your final count? I relied on Board Game Geek to keep track for me. Uh, I know you kept a spreadsheet. And I, that was too much work for I me. I did, yes. So. Well, it wasn't a spreadsheet. I just kept a one note. Whatever. I, okay. I have here, I have played 125 unique games. Cool. And I have logged, of those games, 177 plays. And I did the math. Uh, that averages out to 14 a month, with June being my best month, and January being my worst. Well, I mean, January trying to like get the year started and the holidays are just past. So, you know, you, at least I know I have like this, I'm socially kind of done uh, feeling right now. So I can see January being a harder month to get things played. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. in, in June I played 27 and in January three. So, I mean, that's quite oh, a difference. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that is a huge difference mm -hmm. uh, for me. Um, I, I have played 203 games by my count this year, and 160 of those were unique games that I had not played before. Okay, so doing, doing a little so, bit better than me. A little bit, but it's, it's pretty close. Yeah. Uh, we played a lot of those games together. That's true. <laughs> um, for me, I'm looking at my stats on BGG, and uh, August was my lowest month, mm, actually, probably because, there's, probably because there's a bunch of conventions right in there, and they're big conventions I don't have time to play games yeah. at. But January came in right behind it. I played six games in August. I played nine in January. Okay. Uh, my highest month was February. I played 26 games in February. Interesting. Interesting. Um, well, uh, I mean, I'm up for doing this again next year. Uh, oh, me too. Definitely. I, li I like tracking the games. I like kind of having this challenge for myself. I think maybe 100 games was easier than I thought it would be since I hadn't been able to do the 10 by 10 before. So I might challenge myself to like... 150 unique games. I managed to squeak in at 203 just towards the end of the year. I was sitting, I was sitting at like 97 until a couple days ago. So I'm probably for this next year going to challenge myself to at least 200 games since I did reach that this year. And so next year I'm going to strive to at least hit that. And uh, I'll probably stick right, you know, challenge myself to make sure that at least 150 of those are unique plays. Uh, all right. That that sounds great, John D. Uh, how about this? We've got time to talk about 
Uh, we've got time to talk about one of these Kickstarters. Maybe the second one, but I'm just going to get started on it. Um, Johnny, you like space games. I like space games. Lots of people like space games. So how about this? Check this out. A sandbox survival game in the bizarre and wondrous reaches of deep space. That is un... <laughs> Sorry, I lost the energy level there. That is unsettled. It is by Orange Nebula. I, I don't know. I think that the game looks really cool. It's a cooperative survival adventure game. John D looked at it and said, eh, I don't know. Um, there's no enemies. There's no combat. It's just you versus the environment. I think that sounds really cool because uh, here's the thing. I know we romanticize deep space, but guys, there's nothing out there. It's the, it, it just that we know of. Well, I mean, if you're in space, there's nothing there. It's literally what space means. Like, yeah, I guess there could be aliens out there or something. Space is pretty scary. Space so, is pretty dang scary if you stop and think about it. Here's here's the things Jared isn't saying about this game. It is, is a two to four player cooperative survival adventure. That cooperative adventure is set in uncharted space. Yes. Uh, it's a, apparently a 60 to 90 minute game. And like he said, no enemies, no combat. It's all about environment and and doing the things you would have to do in completely uncharted territory. And I do want to stress, this is not a campaign game. No, but it isn't like an adventure game. A lot of reviewers that I respect a lot really liked this game. So I definitely will give it a try if somebody I know has it. It is an $89 uh, to get in and to get the game. And that is just too much for me on a game that I'm not sure just by looking at it that I'd be interested in. Sure, sure. But what you get for that $89 is you get what they call the framework, which is like the, the basic game components. Um, and then you get planets. And what the, the planet box is the actual, like the adventure part of it. So each planet has a different set of circumstances and different sets of cards. Um, so for example, like Planet 001, which is the, the like base, quote unquote base game, embrace your fungal host and discover mind bending abilities beyond your imagination or be absorbed forever. So I guess you have a choice. Do you want to fight against the infection or do you want to embrace the infection and see what happens? I don't know. I haven't played the game. I watched some videos and I looked at the rules, but it seems really cool. And I like space. I like cooperative games. I like pandemic. I think it's not a secret at this point is one of my all time favorite games. And if you told me that it's a similar play style to pandemic, but in space, I, I'd be interested in it. I think I don't like pandemic at all and i love space games but since this is a cooperative game there are some cooperative games that i love and some that i just really hate and again for me uh 89 is too much for me to play to buy a game that i'm not sure about but it does sound interesting enough that if somebody i know has it i 100 percent want to try it okay johnny here's the thing cool here's here's the thing that we've never done we've never done this before except for once and it failed so we've done we've done it once and it failed so we're going to try it again i want to tease the next episode to people so that we can invite discussion via social media. How do you feel I about do this that, on social media? Just for the record. Well, I think it's dangerous since we do have a tendency to switch things around or not have the next episode happen, which that's only happened a few times. Right. So. But now we're, we're, we're doing better at organization. And now we are beholden to people because we've told them that the next episode concept that we're doing here, we're going to, we're going to talk about city building games. Um, if you have a favorite city building game that you like, you can uh, let us know on social media. You can join our discussion on discord and talk about it. And um, we'll see how it goes in, here in a couple weeks. Yep. And I, I do that anyway, a little bit on social media. As we play the games, I'll post pictures and then start teasing about what the next episode's about. And I start asking questions. And sometimes it works and sometimes I get lots of likes, but no actual responses. But that's kind of normal for social media. So 
if, if you have like 30 seconds, send us a tweet or uh, respond to an Instagram picture. Yeah, like basically just a quick follow us on Twitter, uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, check us out on YouTube, click on the, you know, you can click on the games that you want to listen to and it'll take you directly to that. Subscribe, review uh, on iTunes and we're on BGG, become a fan. I love hearing from you. So does Jared sometimes. Mm-hmm. 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 Anyway, uh, I think we're pretty much at time. So, Jared. All right, John D. Until next time. Uh, until next time, John D. You, you can, can eat, eat shit and dice. dice. Oh, we both did it. That's fine. <laughs> I know I did that on purpose. Uh, okay. Well, uh, I, I uh, smell you next decade. Oh, yikes. Dice is an independent production of Swin Media and is distributed under a Creative Commons license. Attribution, non-commercial, share alike, 4.0 international.